Welcome to Yo! Today. I'm Paul Pepys, director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Cynthia Martinez-Velasco, assistant professor of philosophy at the University of Oregon. Her research and teaching interests include feminist philosophy, gender theory, decolonial philosophy, and critical theory in Latin America. Martinez-Velasco was a 2019-2020 Andrew W. Mellon postdoctoral fellow in Latin American critical theory at Northwestern University. She earned her PhD in philosophy from the National Autonomous University of Mexico in 2019, where she taught philosophy from 2018 to 2022. Professor Martinez Velasco joined the UO faculty in fall of 22. Thanks so much for coming on the show and welcome belatedly to the University of Oregon. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation and for your interest in my work. Uh, I'm always interested in interesting work and your, in your work <laughs> is immensely you. interesting. <laughs> So let's um, start. Tell us about your background, where you're from, and what sparked your interest in philosophy. How did you come to be a philosopher? Yeah, well, um, I studied all my career in Mexico City. Well, yes, mainly in Mexico City. And my first interest when I was a teenager was science. I studied chemistry, and also I used to dance, modern dance and ballet. So while I was doing research in chemistry, I was studying that career, I started to read um, Kuhn. And I remember that this idea that all my beliefs and all my deep thoughts in science could be framed in other, or could be the result of other circumstances than the scientific truth. That was the reason why I started to read philosophy again, mm -hmm. you know, to start to be interested in philosophy. And I remember that I used to just let the experiments in the lab and escape for taking <laughs> classes in the philosophy department. <laughs> so I finally decided to quit that career and start with philosophy. So you studied with Enrique Dussel. Yeah. So a revered philosopher, a Latin American philosopher, revered. I mean, I was just looking at his publication record. It's insane. insane. Passed away, I think, 2023? Yes, some months ago. It was so sad. So yes. tell us about him and how his work has influenced yours. Yeah, thank you for that question. Well, he died recently. It was extremely sad. Fortunately, I was in Mexico. Uh, Yes, I worked with him for 12 years, all my career, since I was studying the, the bachelor degree. And in total, those were 12 years, because in Mexico we write three dissertations, after the bachelor and after the master's, and he was my mentor in the master's and the PhD. And what I can say, one of the main things he taught me, first was to defend my interest in feminism, because feminism was not that relevant. It was not important in 2017 that I was struggling with my PhD dissertation. So I remember his support. He was very proud of my work, um, or my interest in doing something new. And also, for me, it was really important how he defended his right to be a thinker uh, from La Latin America. Yeah. So he was so brave doing that, and it was inspiring to me. And I thought, well, if that person is so um, 
secure about himself as a thinker. Why I couldn't be? I mean, I'm a woman. I know this is going to be harder, but I can follow his steps. So, and also, I'm, I will publish um, response, a, well, a little critique to his work, like in a couple of months. But I follow his interest in thinking in the oppressed, no, in philosophy of liberation is based on oppression. So in that way, I follow his steps, but thinking in feminism. No? So you've already made it clear um, that you are, that feminist philosophy is crucial to what you do. Yes. Uh, and that you are also a decolonial philosopher. Yes. So tell me what are some of the benefits of bringing together feminist philosophy and decolonial philosophy? Why is that a good thing to do? Yeah, I think that the, fem like what we are living in the, in the global south that is happening our, uh, in the new feminist movement is like the vanguard of political activity, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So what is happening, uh, what it started on the streets is like increasing in, in relevance and it is changing the common sense we have through gender and social relationships. So what it started with Niuna Menos or Niuna Mas in South America, then it was repeated in the United States with um, other uh, movements against sexual harassment and then it uh, started to be like um, an issue not only to think about sex, sexual harassment but also the place that the the woman the woman labor um, in capitalism is also relevant to understand that the the work of taking care of other people and all the work that is not like consider like relevant for the classic Marxism who think about this worker who go to the factory then instead of that we are thinking about other types of work that are more uh, performed by, by women and then I think that that is changing the way we understand many things like social relationships but also work but also the organization of, of, of work but also um, the relevance that we give to some things that are done by women. No? So in that sense, I think that um, to look what is like happening when feminist philosophers, the colonial philosophers are putting in the center, such as the depth, um, the reproduction theory, or the violence are, is very relevant for understanding like in general, not only in the colonial terms, but in general for understanding Western civilization. Yeah. So you mentioned violence and, and women, and uh, one of the areas that you focus on is femicide in Latin yes. America and, and especially in Mexico. So first of all, what is femicide and why is this a uh, crime that's rampant in Latin America, in particular in Mexico? Mm -hmm. And also, what drew you to that topic, that problem as a philosopher? Thank you. Well, yes, I do, well, first, feminicidio. I like to use the word in Spanish because I think it's untranslatable. Like, there are, like, many connotations that were 
um, given by feminist activists in Latin America that give a specific meaning to that word in Spanish, but I'm writing about that. But feminicidio, um, it's, the, it's to kill a woman because of gender reasons. And then it is typified in the, in the penal code in Mexico. It started, the typification started in 2012. And it is considered feminicidio every death that has some of the following characteristics. For example, if the victim is um, suffers sexual violence, then it's considered feminicidio. If the victim uh, had a relationship with the um, killer, then it's considered feminicidio. If it was, I don't know, friendship or uh, another type of relationship is enough to consider this feminicidio. If the victim uh, was incommunicated, it's considered feminicidio. And also an element that is very important for what I'm doing now is that if the victim, victim's body appears publicly mm. exhibited in a degrading way, th then it is considered feminicidio. So um, now the National Observatory of Femi on Feminicidio in Mexico said that the last three years we had 70,500 feminicidios in Mexico, which of course it's the numbers are very different to the numbers given by the government. <laughs> so my work is of course to push the recognition um, first um, to think about the homologation of the crime because it's not this, the, there is a penal code, code ruling the country, but mm -hmm. every state like takes whatever they want of mm -hmm. this typification and mm -hmm. then do whatever they want <laughs> with mm -hmm. the crimes. So the first thing is to push the homologation. The second is to talk about transfeminicidio, of course, because Recently, a big amount of transgender women have been killed. And it is important to distinguish that there are other elements that involve, because here the context is very important to recognize feminicidio. So transfeminicidio involves new or, or different elements, but similar in some ways. So it's important to distinguish that. I'm pushing for that. But my main interest through or, or why I think that philosophy is important here is to talk about uh, femi genocide, mm -hmm. which includes to um, consider that feminicidio is a genocide or a type of genocide. And their philosophy is relevant because it's important for distinguishing what is considered a woman. Mm -hmm. That's a philosophical question, mm -hmm. no? The, the ontology of gender here is very relevant. and. Because in the in the Statuto de Roma, Rome, I don't know how to translate that. Rome law that comes from the Vatican. Yeah, thank mm -hmm. you. <laughs> uh, gender is not an uh, um, element considered for genocide. Mm -hmm. You can talk about ethnic yeah. groups, religious groups. National groups, but no gender. So what I'm working in is in, of course, giving um, broad idea of womanhood, which could include trans women, a material idea or a material ontology there involved in woman, 
who that could like also embrace transgender woman. But also I am thinking in um, there is another problem for considering a uh, feminicidio uh, genocide because it's important to prove the intent to destroy that group. Mm -hmm. So it means it's necessary to change the common sense for doing that because most of the time the response we have in cases in tribu tribunals is that it's a personal mm -hmm. intention, right. but not an, an impersonal intention interested in destroying one person, yeah. but no in destroying the gender of that person. But at the same time, feminicide involves the gender, and, or that is the reason of, of the murder. Mm -hmm. So that's also a philosophical problem. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to give like a strong solution for that. I'm working on that. That's not easy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so uh, it turns out that you've recently returned from Mexico where you were working at the invitation of the new feminist foreign affairs embassy. Yes. So you're not just the philosopher, you're trying to, as you say, you're not just trying to theorize this, you're trying to take action in the world. So tell us about the work that you did when you were in Mexico for, with the new feminist foreign affairs embassy. And what were some of the challenges of that work? Yeah, thank you. Um, I received this invitation recently. I was really flattered uh, because um, it was the um, keynote, inaugural keynote for this big event um, that was interested in talking against the violence against women and, and, and girls. And then, like, it was, there was, like, the, uh, it was an event with ambassadors, but also activists, with also um, experts in that topic, the topic of violence. And uh, what was very nice was the opportunity for me to first to meet with some friends who are more active, like, thank you for, for thinking of me as an activist. I don't consider myself an activist. <laughs> I would love to be, but mm -hmm. it requires like strength and courage and to be courageous. And yeah, like I admire, I deeply admire like activists in Mexico, feminist activists in Mexico. But I met some of them and then I tried to recover like the concerns and I tried to present them in the clearest way possible in front of these aliens. And what I tried to do was to push the things I mentioned, transfeminicidio, homologation of the crime, but also I presented this idea of, of femigenocide, which was absolutely difficult because in some sense, um, this idea of femigenocide, it's saying that the impunity uh, of the crime is related with the state, mm -hmm. or in some sense, the state is responsible for, for that death. Mm -hmm. Because feminicidio can occur, but if it occurs 17,500 17, times in three years, it's because there is a state that is like letting this happening. And in that sense, um, it's, it's more a political problem, mm -hmm. you know, of course, than only uh, domestic problem. So I was, I was a little bit worried about the response and it was amazing because some of the ambassadors there were working with migration mm 
So what I'm saying with genocide is that, uh, or why I include the term genocide is to, to push or to, of, or to support the idea that the current war we are living in, in Latin America, and also all the organized crime that lets, or it's linked to feminicidio. Mm -hmm. And then it is necessary to explore that um, context of war we are living in for the modification of the penal codes or the modification of the typification we have now because there are some elements that are not like useful entirely for counting correctly. Mm -hmm. No, for example, in the thing that I presented this uh, November, I was mentioning that in case of sexual slavery, mm -hmm. if there is sexual slavery, then it should be considered immediately feminicidio the case, no? And then that means that we are like aware about how organized crime is behind this. Mm -hmm. So that should be part of the typification and that should be like for every state and not also for every state. What I did like about this um, international event we had because this event was um, broadcasted in mm -hmm. 30 countries mm -hmm. in the world is that we need to, to share that um, information with other countries in Latin America, but also in Africa, but also in the world. It's important to homologate in the world. That's my dream. No. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, like those cases should be included and it should like be considered this like uh, political problem that is sensitive to what we are living now in Latin America or the, or the amount of violence we live. And the translation uh, uh, would be like fair with the cases we have. So I work with that. And then I like the response, especially uh, from the people who worked with migration was great because they said, oh, that that you are mentioning it will be helpful for understanding the case of women who are migrating because most of the time feminicity is only like the way we have it typified is useful for specific women but not the women that are like in transit or they are moving from other countries so i guess that this is the beginning of something that could be enriched and then could be like i don't know i would like to hear from other fellows and colleagues in other countries and to work together with that or keep on working with that problem. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, philosophers are often caricatured as being more concerned with theory than with practice, with yeah. thinking than with acting. Now you, you're being modest to say that you're not an activist, but <laughs> it's fair to say that as a philosopher, you are a philosopher who is interested in the political agency or impact of philosophy. You believe that philosophy can be useful yeah. to address political problems. So why? Why do you think that's the case? Why don't you just think that what philosophers are supposed to do is sit in their offices and think? Why do you think that it's important for your ideas to have agency in the, in the world of politics and yeah. praxis? In some way, because I'm Enrique Dussel's student, so this idea of organic intellectual 
it's very strong in Latin America. No, it's very Marxist. But also because I'm very Marxist in that sense, and following Marx's thesis on four years back, its philosophy should be about changing the world. But what the meaning of that to me is not to get rid of theory, because like I have been in contact with activists who say, no, that's that's wasting of time. I mm -hmm. shouldn't like why it would be useful to spend hours reading. And then I think philosophy should be interested in changing the world and in selecting what is relevant to think for changing the world. And in that sense, for me, it's more a service mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. something relevant to my ego. <laughs> no? Mm -hmm. It's more a service. How can I be useful as a person for improving the situation we are living in? And then I try to be on streets. I try to do this as much as I can because I'm a very nervous person. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm not that brave, no? but I try to be as much as I can and then pay attention to what is relevant to like think. Yeah. I hope I'm doing something, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, the agency of academics is various. And one of the things that you do is you're a board member of the International Association of Women Philosophers, for which you organize the symposium Feminisms today at the University of Buenos Aires this past summer. So tell us about that organization, what does it do, and about that symposium. Thank you. Yes, I'm very happy with that event. That's an organization founded by Germans. And then I started to be a board member since 2018, which was great because I was, I don't know, 35 years old or something like that. And I was interested in take the eyes of a group um, of feminist philosophers from all over the world to what is happening in Latin America. So we organized this event in Argentina, which was absolutely amazing because like, we could meet, respect each other as thinkers, which for me is very important. Actually, I'm active in the, in the parallel organization in Mexico. We have uh, read the the Filosofas Mexicanas, the um, network of Mexican philosophers, women philosophers. And what is very relevant about those spaces is that we take us seriously. It's very difficult to be a philosopher in Latin America because it's a discipline, a masculine discipline mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everywhere. But in Latin America, it's really heavy uh, and difficult to have the opportunity of believing your own words. So that's why we work in. And in, La in Argentina was nice because we had like people from all the world and like especially from Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Argentina and then like hundreds of, of young and, and, and not that young philosophers were there like paying attention to each other and, and I don't know, find colleagues and friendship there. You know? Yeah. Very important. So um, I mentioned in the introduction that you were an Andrew Mellon Fellow at Northwestern University. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing while you were there. 
Yeah, well, I was invited. I was giving a talk in Mexico, and then this woman comes to me and say, hey, yeah, I'm interested in what you said. You were great. And then I was like, thank you. <laughs> she sent me her. No, she gave me her email, and she was Penelope Devacher, the, 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 the woman, the philosopher that who coordinates that project. And I was just surprised when I realized who invited me to <laughs> Northwestern. I didn't know what was Northwestern, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I say yes. <laughs> and then I was there. Um, what we did was really nice. I worked with Jose Medina, he's amazing. All of them were not in Natalie Busaglu and Alejandra Oslengi and all the students. And we organized some workshops on work for working on syllabus uh, in the colonial queer theory and feminist theory with people from different countries in America and Latin America, North America and Latin America. So it was very nice. I learned a lot. And also we translated um, Santiago Castro Gomez's book, The Critic of Latin American Reasons. So we did a translation and a panel on that where like young scholars gave him like responses to that book. Of course, that book was written many years ago, but then like it was a way of um taking the book seriously and you know reading the book in English which was great so you mentioned that when you were there you work with students and you are obviously here at the University of Oregon in addition to being a scholar and some kind of an activist you are <laughs> you are also <laughs> you are also a teacher yes so to what do you teach in this term tell us about your teaching well right now I'm teaching the introduction to Latin American philosophy which is very nice. I like it. There, I'm, te I'm teaching like the canon, but also feminist Latin American philosophy, of course. Mm -hmm. So I teach like Enrique Dussel, um, Maria Tewa. Well, more, I will the problem of Latin America's otherness, or the problem of, of thinking Latin America through genealogy, or thinking in Latin America as a way, uh, an experience of uh, different ethos of modernity. That's mm -hmm. something that we discussed there. Or thinking about the Marxist um, examples of um, Latin American philosophy we have, thinking in the subject of history instead of the proletarian, we think in indigenous people as this subject of history. But also I'm thinking in mourning and disappearance uh, during dictatorships, but also in the recent wars. And also I think about, the, in that class I am uh, teaching about Zapatismo and those like new, well not that new, like those anarchist organizations against government. And yes, I teach about that. And also I'm teaching critical theory right now which is my class right now, it's very classical. I just, the, fir the first generation of Frankfurt School, so it's a little bit dark and pessimistic, but <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the negative <laughs> interpretation or the negative um, way of understanding enlightenment, which is, I think, useful for being critical, thinking in terms of capitalism. And also I'm trying to take that class uh, for thinking in, in the current fascism we are living now mm -hmm. in different countries. So mm -hmm. that will be the end of, of the course. 
When you say the canon of Latin American philosophy, are there any women in the canon of Latin American well, philosophy? Well, in my opinion, yes, and I take them. Maria Lugones is part of that canon. Ophelia Schutt is part of that canon. Of course, Linda Alcoff is part of that canon. It's important to mention that I studied in Latin America and I never read mm -hmm. woman yep. as part of that canon. Uh, so when I came here, I realized and, then and I integrated that but also my syllabus is taught, uh, also I include uh, queer decoloniality at the, no, in some part of it. So my syllabus is taught like 40% men and the other, like the new voices I want to read and explore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like right <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so we're almost out of time, so this will uh, be my last question. Um, so you're, you're, you're a philosopher of Latin America, a uh, uh, decolonial philosopher. You are from Mexico, but here you are at the University of Oregon. Yes. So what attracted you to the University of Oregon? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I remember we searching. I was searching for a job. And then I opened this page that Penelope Docher recommended to check field jobs. And then the first thing that appeared was this university and I just yes, searched for it. Mm -hmm. And then I look at the students and the work they were doing and then I was like thinking, is this possible in the <laughs> philosophy department? I mean, like they were working on race and gender and environmental issues and then the queers here, why, where do they come from? Marxists here, all mixed and and then I studied, the, they, they reviewed this, the professor, and then I was thinking, was, that guy is from Chile, and that guy is, no? From Mexico, and then what is happening in that department? So I, I applied for the first time. I said, well, I will try, and then I got the job, yes. Yes, <laughs> the philosophy department at the University of Oregon is an amazing group of people. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yes, I am not very familiar with from the academy here, but I was lucky enough to just select the perfect place in Mead. And we were lucky enough to uh, manage to get you here. So, Cynthia, thanks so much for talking with us today. It's been really a pleasure. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with uh, Cynthia Martinez Velasco, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of Oregon. Thanks so much for watching.